there's nothing quite like uh, the build-up to a big heavyweight boxing championship. Uh, the hype, the trash talk between the opponents, all done, of course, to get the ticket sales up uh, before the opening bell and the fight begins. Uh, Alexander Yusik unfortunately stopped Anthony Joshua in his tracks. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're not sad if you're Ukrainian, but uh, it was sad for, for, for fans of British boxing because we were waiting for the big matchup between Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, and Anthony Joshua. But it looks like this might be the redemption of Anthony Joshua. He's getting way back into the ring if you'll accept the fight with Tyson Fury in December. We're still waiting on the edge of our seats to see if this is really going to happen. Now, these chapters uh, in Exodus, we can move it on the slide, I think. Uh, these chapters in Exodus have the same kind of feel to me of a big build-up to a contest. Uh, two opponents, Pharaoh and God. The fight starts in chapter 7, and there are 10 rounds. Uh, we call them plagues, but the original text uses the word strike. God will strike Egypt ten times. But before we get to those next week, these chapters are kind of like the pre-match conferences. Chapter 5 it records Pharaoh's press conference. Chapter 6 it records what God has to say about it. And we're going to consider these two press conferences this morning. So uh, Pharaoh's press conference, you can summarize it with the question, who is the Lord? Now to everyone around Pharaoh, this was going to be a very one-sided competition, a walkover in fact, with very little doubt about it. Egypt at that time was the military superpower. It was uh, the uh, economically prosperous, uh, huge military. And uh, one day, two old men from the Hebrew slave class, shuffle in before Pharaoh with this audacious demand. Chapter 5, verse 1, if you open your Bibles there, chapter 5, verse 1 of Exodus. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Well, what was Pharaoh's response? Well, there's two main responses. The first one, complete derision. Look at verse 2. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Your God commands me, Pharaoh says. Never heard of him. The God of the slaves can't be a very significant God to let them experience that. What a joke. And Pharaoh throws down the gauntlet. Now, I think this is the response that has echoed, been echoed by many governments and leaders that have been against God uh, throughout the history of the world. Here is the response of atheistic and secular philosophers and opinion piece writers and perhaps you are here today and you're thinking the same thing. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? It is, in fact, the fundamental enmity of the human heart against the living God. And the Bible says that behind all these defiant cries is, in fact, um, Satan himself. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul describes Satan as the God of this age who blinds the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Well, Moses, he's full of wonder that God had met with him, and he could hardly believe his ears. And so Pharaoh just didn't seem to get it. So he tries again in verse 3. Don't you understand, Pharaoh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. Things could get very difficult if you don't listen because you're dealing with the living God, Pharaoh. Well, he's having none of it. Get back to your work, he says. The previous pharaoh had been um, getting nervous about the growing immigrant community. The, um, the pharaoh at the time was more than happy to have cheap slave labor uh, propping up the economy of Egypt. A thriving economy was far more important to him than a just society or obeying a god he'd never heard of. And so the way he reasoned it was this. Uh, um, these people, they belong to me, not to God, so get back to serving me. So derision. Now the second response of Pharaoh really is to sort of sow division amongst them. If you look at the brutality and the hardness of the human heart in verse 6, that same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers to make things even harder. Uh, They would have to find their own straw and make the same number of bricks. He kind of wanted to crush their spirits. Uh, sow division among the ranks. Uh, but in verse 8, verse 17, you'll see what he says to them. Lazy, lazy, lazy. That's, all you, that's why you're thinking about serving your God. You're just lazy. And the clever insult and the result of this strategy is that the people become divided from one another. If you look at verse 12, so the people scattered all over Egypt trying to gather stubble to use for straw. And the other charge he makes is, well, you're just gullible. For believing all this stuff about God's word, uh, look at verse 9. Make the word harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. That's Pharaoh's take on all this talk of God speaking to you. These are lies. Sounds very much like the snake back in the garden hissing away. Did God really say? Well, the beaten foreman stumble across Moses and Aaron, and they take it out on them. May the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and you've put a sword in their hand to kill us. You see, the enemy of God's people will always be at work to cause, to cause us to turn against each other and to cause division. It's a classic divide-and-conquer technique. And uh, Moses, of course, he's not the reason for their oppression. He's, in fact, God's instrument to get them out of the oppression. But then he's the one they find, and they pounce on him, and they blame him. And so the very same people at the end of chapter 4 bowed their heads and worshipped God uh, after hearing how God was going to save them. The first signs of difficulty, they respond with this doubt and, and being divided amongst each other. It's very human. It's very real, isn't it? And what about the great leader of God's people, Moses? How did he respond to all of this? Well, here's the honesty of God's word. And remember that Moses probably wrote this. 
He was being honest about what he was like. He crumbles into doubt and despair. Look at verse 22. Moses uh, returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you've not rescued your people at all. He just disintegrates. It must have felt to Moses like another moment of great failure. I mean, after 40 years, he had to flee from Egypt into the wilderness. And after a very bold, confident start with Pharaoh, he's, he's, it's all getting worse. He feels crushed by his apparent failure and he collapses emotionally. Well, isn't that very human? Isn't that very real? Moses forgot God's word. Because if you recall, if you... Keep your finger there and go back to chapter 3. God had told him what was going to happen, 3 verse 19. God had said to him exactly what was going to happen. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I'll perform among them. After that, he will let you go. So God had told Moses what was going to happen. But in the crushing moment of, of failure and being you know, blamed by his own people and all the rest of it, he just collapsed. He'd forgotten the word of God. Now, people are very quick to believe a sort of a pseudo-Christian message, which goes something like this. If you live for God, everything's going to go really well. That's the pseudo-Christian message. Um, you're, you know, if you decide to go God's way, then actually um, your plans are going to prosper. Um, you will know God's will and you're just going to feel an inner peace all the time in your life. And if we believe this false message, then when adversity, disease, and opposition comes, we can crumble into doubt. I found Natalia's story very powerful. She tried bargaining with God for a little one and then she realized she couldn't do that. And she entrusts her little one to the Lord. And the Lord took her little one. And she trusted the Lord. You know, that's actually Christian faith. Not to think we can bargain with God. Not to think, actually, if I follow him and I live for him, then everything's going to go great. Everything's going to go sweet for me. Well, no, that's, that's not the reality. And we see it here in this account in Exodus. Uh, Moses is doing exactly what God told him to do. And it's getting worse. Oh, Lord. Why have you done evil to us since I've been following Christ? Things have got worse, not better. Well, listen to the encouragement of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas to the young churches that they had recently started. In Acts 14, 22, it says, They returned to the churches and taught, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This is the apostolic expectation of the Christian life. And you know what? I, I would say to us as Christians today that these hardships are likely to increase the more our ruling elites determine that believing and proclaiming God's word um, is a dangerous threat to society or the economy. We're going to find it tougher. Opposition in the Christian life is to be expected. Being part of God's people doesn't make us immune from struggle and pain, and we need to prepare ourselves for that reality. 
Now, God had made great and awesome promises to them, but we should note that there was a delay in their fulfillment. Things got worse before they got better. See, difficulties and struggles doesn't mean that God is absent, but throughout the Bible there is a call to patiently trust and endure. But how are you going to do that? How are you going to patiently endure when it's really difficult? And many people in our congregation are finding life difficult. How do you keep going when it's difficult? Well, you need a renewed vision of the glory of God. See, against the discouraging backdrop of Pharaoh's press conference, we need to come to God's press conference because he's got some things to say. And what is the summary of God's press conference? We move on the screen. another one it's this i am the lord look at verse one of chapter six now you will see what i will do to pharaoh the lord tells moses see against the backdrop of pharaoh's oppression the glory of god's deliverance is going to shine even brighter Here is another classic moment when all human resources and hope have kind of completely uh, gone away. God's people get reminded that God is their hope and that God always has the final word. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, He will drive them out of his country. The truth of these chapters in Exodus is to see the awesome sovereignty of God. The same God that we worship today. His will, his purposes are never thwarted by human or spiritual opposition. Just watch Moses, the Lord saying, And this despot who refuses to let you go, by the end he'll be desperately pushing you out of the door and he'll be giving you stuff to get you out of the door with. In another classic uh, boxing match, the Rumble in the Jungle, between uh, George Foreman and Muhammad Ali in the 1970s, despite Foreman being on the top form of his career and Ali being past his prime, Ali made the prediction that he would beat Foreman in the eighth round. After seven rounds of Ali being pummeled against the ropes, they dubbed this the rope-a-dope strategy, right? Ali was against the ropes. He was getting smacked around seven rounds. And then in the eighth, Ali blasted him with a punch, and he floored him, and he stayed out for the count. It was the rumble in the jungle. Now, this is the, um, the rumble that God promises will make Egypt humble. That's what's going on. Uh, in these uh, 10 rounds. Was God worried about this encounter? Not one little bit. Notice the supreme confidence of God as he uh, approached this fight with Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt. God's not shaken. He's not surprised by the unfolding events. It's all been part of his plan. And the outcome, despite the derision, is never in doubt. And what we're told in chapter 6, verses 2 to 8, is practically a repeat of what 
God told Moses on Mount Horeb. See, what Moses needed to hear in his defeat and doubt is God's word once more. Let me say this to you again, Moses. Heed my word. Is this not what we need when we're discouraged? Um, God's promises are what his people need to believe and heed, not the mockery of people like Pharaoh or opponents. Keep listening to the word of God. That's why it really matters. We gather uh, every week on Sundays, and hopefully you'll be in your Bible studies midweek and in other places to read the word of God. Heed what he has to say, because that's what we need. God is so gracious to Moses. Considering how flaky Moses was, uh, it's as if God takes his shaken servant and he says, now Moses, let's try again. Listen carefully. This is who I am. 6 verse 2. I am the Lord. What did Pharaoh say? What did he ask? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And God's reply, I am the Lord. And the content and the meaning of God's name would be revealed in these unfolding events that are going to take place in, in, in Egypt. Pharaoh says, well, I don't know the Lord. And God says, well, I'm going to give you an education. You're going to find out who I am. Uh, 6 verse 3, I am the God Almighty who makes and keeps promises. The, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who promised them a people and a land. And Moses, you and Pharaoh and the nations will see that I am a God who delivers on promises. I know what's been happening, and I'm going to do something about it. Verse 6, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I'll bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as, as a possession. I am the Lord. God was supremely confident of what would take place. It was never in doubt. God would deliver his people. God would redeem them with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. And what's the purpose? The purpose is for relationship. God was taking them to be his people. And they would have the glory and the wonder of knowing that this Lord who'd redeemed them was their God. Now that's the reason that we're studying this ancient book of Exodus. Because it is the pattern and the picture of a far greater redemption that God achieved through the death of his own son, Jesus Christ. It is in the events of the crucifixion of Jesus that God redeemed his people from their slavery to sin through his outstretched arms, crucified on a cross. His cross was the great day of God's judgment, pouring out wrath for the obstinacy and sinfulness of, his, of our human hearts, but directing it not at us who deserve it, but upon his son who stood in our place. 
And what was the purpose of this redemption? It's relationship. God wants a relationship with us. I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. You know, maybe you're new to these things and you, you've turned up at church and you really don't know what life is about. You, you, you're trying to work it out. This is what it's about, that you would know the living God, that he would become your God, that you would get to be forgiven because of what his son's done for you, that he would put his Holy Spirit in your life to transform you and change you. You can be redeemed from all that enslaves you and, and, and makes life rubbish and he's going to take you on the way to the, 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 the promise of his eternal rest. And we've got the privilege of calling uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ our God, our Heavenly Father. And my friends, how much more certain we should be that this God will deliver on His promises. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? And so when we're facing opposition and hostility as Christians, when we face setbacks and disappointments, the way to persevere is this, to refocus our gaze from our problems to this awesome God and His incredible promises. Not They're not incredible because they can be believed. These amazing promises. We need to freshly consider the character and the glory of God. The God who is the Lord. The one who is sovereign. Who will always have the final word. Who has the complete victory. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, with those certain promises and assurances from God, Moses is sent back to his people and to Pharaoh. It's, it's as if God recommissioned Moses. Uh, look at uh, 6 verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this country. Now you've got to love the Bible because it's so real. Because Moses, what does he do? He's still not quite sure, is he? He falls back on his old excuses. Verse 12. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? No good sending me, Lord. My own people don't believe me. I couldn't speak very well anyway. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. God's very gracious with Moses. He said, well, Aaron, will, you know, he'll be like your prophet. You speak, and Aaron will speak on your behalf. But then basically, what's God telling him? Get on with it. Get on with it. Now, what's the significance of this genealogy? Uh, you've got the excuse of Moses' faltering lips in uh, 6 verse 12, and it's repeated in 6 verse 30, and in between you've got this genealogy. Um, I think it is to sort of point out the sort of people that God uses uh, in his purposes. Now, this is quite encouraging, I think. What sort of people does God use in his purposes? Well, human beings who feel pretty inadequate. People like you, people like me, 
People who can crumble into despair. People who can be prone to make excuses that they're not the ones for the job. I, I, I think I can hear the note of astonishment in the text, can't you, in verse 26? It was this same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. Yes, it was. Though reluctant and feeble and frail, Moses and Aaron were the ones that God used to communicate his word and announce his acts of salvation and judgment. And the amazing thing was that Moses and Aaron finally did get around to doing it. 7 verse 6. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old. Aaron, 83, when they spoke to Pharaoh. So that's encouraging for folk over 80, isn't it? Maybe you've only just started. Maybe there's some really cool things ahead. Well, have we got it? Are we willing to be those who will faithfully speak God's word to others this week? And if we're going through really difficult times and we've prayed and we've prayed and the answer's still not coming and it's still very tough, are we willing to keep trusting the God who is working out his plans of salvation? Even in the times when life is seemingly only getting worse rather than better, are we trusting the God who is the Lord? over everything and everyone. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, thank you for lifting our eyes to your awesome power and might. There is no authority or power greater than you. And we thank you that you use feeble and frail people like us. Thank you that even as we read this ancient text, we find ourselves there. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen and encourage those who are going through very difficult days of weeping and sorrow, wondering why things are taking so long. Would you give them patient endurance? and a deep faith that you are, uh, you are the God who will save them. And Father, would you help us, even in this week, to live with a great confidence and assurance that you are the Lord. You will bring great glory to yourself. You will redeem a people, delivering them out of sin and darkness, and you will take us to be with yourselves. Thank you for the enormous privilege that we can say you are our God. How we thank you and praise you this day. Amen.